Well, amen. Turn with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 17. Thank you all for leading us and singing. Thank you all for singing with us. Today we are thinking about the coming kingdom of Jesus. And so I'm excited to be preaching for us. We're working through the gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 17. We're going to start in verse 20 today. And I'm excited for what God has to say to us through the words of Jesus today. So let's read them together. Luke 17, starting in verse 20. This is the word of God. It says, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look, there it is, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to him, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word today, God. We thank you that the kingdom has come, is here in our midst because Christ is here in our midst. But even as Ethan prayed earlier, Lord, we know that the kingdom is still to come fully. We are waiting for the days of the Son of Man, as Jesus calls them. And so as we're waiting for his return to make all things new and to bring us into the new heavens and the new earth, Lord, would you help us to look for the kingdom here and now, to look at Jesus, to look at his cross, to see the escape that we have from the coming judgment and to see that no treasure in this world is better than the treasure that we have in Christ. So God, as we are waiting, even in this moment, would you speak to us? Would you bless us? Would you show us Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. 
So can, can we all agree that looking for something that you can't find is just the worst? I mean, you're, we've all been there. You know the feeling. You're trying to find something. You're looking really hard for it, and you can't find it. Maybe you lost your car keys. I did that one time. I mean, and it was absolutely the worst. I'm running around the house like crazy trying to find them. I end up being an hour late for work when I finally found them and got there. I mean, it was the worst. I can't tell you how many times I've walked up and down every single aisle at Kroger trying to find Italian seasoning. The stuff is in the dressing aisle, not in the seasoning aisle. It's a, I don't know what they're thinking there. You know, I think the worst thing is looking for a pair of socks in a big pile of clothes. Maybe you're, maybe you're a lot better than us, but I mean, we can just be honest and admit that there's gonna be a big pile of clothes on the side of the couch sitting there for about a week. Everybody's looking around wondering who's actually gonna fold them and put them away. But man, digging through all of those clothes to find one pair of socks that actually match is just the worst. Looking for something that you can't find is the worst. But you know, Maybe the problem is that we're looking in the wrong place or we're looking for the wrong things. Maybe we just give up looking or maybe we just don't even care to look. And so we come to God's word today and we see a group of people who are struggling to look for the kingdom of God. You see, the Pharisees are looking in the wrong place for the kingdom. The disciples are tempted to look for the wrong things. The people of the world don't even care and don't even know that they should be looking for the kingdom. And friends, we face these same challenges today too. We can look for the kingdom in the wrong place. We can be seeking after the wrong things. We can give into the temptation to not even care about the kingdom of God. Or worse, we can turn back from Jesus and look to all that this world has to offer. And so Jesus is going to help us today. He's going to help us look for the kingdom of God. And not only look for it, but to see it. And to seek it. To live for the kingdom. To long for the kingdom. To press on toward the kingdom. So let's hear the words of Jesus today as he helps us to look for the coming of his glorious kingdom. First, Jesus says to us, the word of God says, don't look past Jesus. Don't look past Jesus. So the beginning of our passage has the Pharisees, these religious leaders coming to Jesus and asking him when the kingdom of God is going to come. These were these super religious leaders and they had been waiting and longing for the coming of God's kingdom. You see, God had promised to establish his kingdom on the earth. And so it makes sense that they're waiting And they're watching. They're looking for the kingdom of God. But look at what Jesus answers them in verse 20. He says, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. What does he mean by that? Does he mean the kingdom of God is going to come to earth and nobody's even going to know? Does, Does he mean by that that God is going to establish righteousness and justice on the earth and we won't even be able to see it? 
How can God set his promised king on the throne of David and nobody even know? What's he talking about here? Well, you see, the Jews had become almost obsessed with signs of the kingdom. The prophets had said that when the kingdom comes, there will be signs along with it. But the signs and the wonders became the focus. It was less about waiting for the kingdom and more about looking for the signs. I mean, we've already seen this in Luke's gospel. Back in chapter 11, Jesus rebukes the Jews for seeking a sign rather than seeking the kingdom itself. And so this is what Jesus says to them in verse 21. He says, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God, listen to this, is in the midst of you. You see, the irony here is that these religious leaders are looking for a sign of when the kingdom is going to come while the king is standing right there in front of them. Jesus said the kingdom is in the midst of you. You see, they're looking past Jesus for some sign of the kingdom when the king is right there. I mean, didn't Jesus begin his ministry saying, repent and believe in the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand? Jesus sent his disciples out to heal the sick and to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Jesus declares to the crowds that he was able to cast out demons because the kingdom of God had come upon them. You see, Jesus is God's promised king and his coming into the world means that the kingdom has come too. But the kingdom came in a very unexpected way. The Jews expected that when the Messiah come, he would be a warrior king. He would come with power and military strength to overthrow the Romans and to put Israel back on top in the promised land. You see, they thought he would establish God's kingdom physically here on the earth and bring judgment upon the nations. But that's not how the kingdom came. Jesus didn't show up with a sword in his hand. He, came to, he didn't come to rub shoulders with the rich and the powerful. He didn't lead a revolution or a political campaign. Instead, he came preaching. He came teaching. He came calling people to repentance and faith. He came for the outcasts and the unclean. He came eating and drinking and welcoming sinners. Jesus came to create communities of disciples who were transformed by the power of his grace and love. And that's where we find the kingdom of God. You see, so many people are looking for the kingdom in the wrong places. So many people, even today, are looking past Jesus to try to find the kingdom of God. You see, the kingdom is not tied to any nation or any political platform. The United States is not the kingdom of God. Presidents will come and they will go. God's word tells us that they are put there by the Lord, but none of them, absolutely none of them are God's rescue plan for the world. The hopes of the kingdom are not found in the Republican party or the Democratic party. The kingdom of God is found in communities of disciples transformed by the grace and the love of Jesus. 
You see, the kingdom of God is also not tied to any kind of humanitarian work around the world. Sometimes people will seek the kingdom of God and some of the, the great things that we can do and bringing clean water to struggling peoples or seeking to end human trafficking in the world, promoting, human, or promoting women's rights around the world or even standing up for the rights of the unborn. All of those are good things. All of those are great causes that many Christians are behind. But those things in of themselves are not the kingdom of God. The kingdom, again, is found in communities of disciples transformed by the grace and the love of Jesus. And so listen, that means the kingdom of God is here and now. I mean, literally here in this room, literally right now. King Jesus is here by his spirit among us and we are a community of disciples transformed by his grace and his love. And so this means that every Sunday when we step into this room together, we are setting foot in the kingdom of God. Each week as we gather together in homes for community groups to encourage one another, we are experiencing life in the kingdom of God. Now listen, I know we roll into this room some Sundays in a rush because you're running behind or you're weighed down by the crazy week that you just had or maybe it was an absolute circus in the minivan ride to church this morning, I get it. I know we can roll into community groups having just argued with your spouse the entire way there. You know you've been there, those of you that are married. I know you can, this can feel dry at times, what we do together. We can be distracted at times. I know the church can feel like just one more thing that just makes our weeks so busy. But just think about what we're doing right now. Think about how incredible this moment is. We're gathered together as people from all walks of life. Some of us rich, some of us poor, some of us white, some of us black. Some of us are young, some of us are not so young. We're from America, we're from Congo, from Tanzania, from Myanmar. And we're all together bought by the blood of Jesus. We're covered in his grace. We're deeply loved by our King. And the kingdom of God is here, now, in our midst. And so, brothers and sisters, let's never try to look past Jesus to find the kingdom of God. You see, because where Jesus is, that's where the kingdom is. And if Jesus is here among us today, and he is, then we can be certain that the kingdom of God is here in our midst. So, friends, let's never look past Jesus to find the kingdom of God. Number two, what our passage calls us to do, don't look past the cross. So don't look past Jesus and don't look past the cross. So Jesus turns now to his disciples to teach them about the coming of kingdom. You see, in a very real sense, the kingdom of God has come and is among us. But in another very real sense, we are still waiting for the fullness of the kingdom to come. 
And so Jesus teaches his disciples about the kingdom. He tells them in verse 22, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. He's talking about the time when he will return to the earth and bring God's kingdom in full. But that time will not come right away. There's going to be an in-between time. And so Jesus came, yes, to bring the kingdom near, but he's also coming again to bring it in full. Notice how Jesus tells his disciples that his second coming will be clear. In verse 23, he mentions that people are going to be saying, look, there it is, or look, here it's come. Jesus says, don't follow them. His coming will be clear to all. In verse 24, he compares his coming to lightning. It says, in the night sky, when lightning strikes from one side to the other, everybody sees it. It's clear. The, son of, the coming of the Son of Man will be just like that. But notice also how Jesus tells his disciples that something must happen first. Look at verse 25. He says, but first, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Why does Jesus call himself the Son of Man? He does it four times in our passage today. He does it 25 times in the Gospel of Luke. It was his favorite way to talk to himself. It's the name of this series that we're going through in this section of Luke. Why does he call himself the Son of Man? We see the Son of Man is a title from Daniel chapter 7. Daniel sees a vision of the nations as these beasts on the earth waging war against the people of God. And God's answer to these beasts is to raise up a human king, a son of man. And he raises him up so that he rides on the clouds and he is given dominion over all of heaven and all of earth. But Daniel's vision shows how these beasts will wage war against God's people, even destroying them and even destroying this son of man. You see, Jesus likes to call himself the Son of Man because he knows in order to save a people, he must first be destroyed by the beast. Or to put it another way, Jesus will be exalted as king through suffering. It's not through military force. It's not through political maneuvering. It's not through leading a revolution. Jesus is exalted as king by suffering and being rejected by his people. The kingdom comes through the cross. And so this means for us that we must never look past the cross to find the kingdom of God. I mean, we can think what the kingdom really needs is some good politicians who are on our side. But what God gave us is the cross. We can think what the kingdom really needs is a better strategy to reach people in our city. That's what the kingdom needs. But God gave us the cross. We can think what the kingdom really needs is happier and healthier and wealthier Christians. That's what the kingdom of God needs. But God gave us the cross. We can think what the kingdom of God really needs is power and influence and ambition. That's what the kingdom of God needs. But what God gave us is the cross. Jesus 
became king through the ultimate act of self-sacrificing love. That's what the kingdom of God needs. And so brothers and sisters, don't believe that the cross was not enough. The cross is how Jesus would become king and he would bring God's kingdom to the earth. So brothers and sisters, let's cling to the cross of Jesus. Let's hope in the cross. Let's live in the cross. Let's boast in the cross. Let's rejoice in the cross. Let's never look past the cross to find the kingdom of God. Number three, so don't look past Jesus. Don't look past the cross. Don't look past the judgment. So Jesus continues our passage and talks about two stories in the book of Genesis. When the son of man returns, he says it will be like the days of Noah and the days of Lot. In verse 27, Jesus reminds us what the people were doing in the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking. They were getting married and giving their children to be married. I mean, those things don't sound that bad. I mean, what's wrong with those things? Doesn't the Bible say good food and drink and marriage are good gifts from God? What's the, what was the problem? Well, Jesus is pointing out here that the problem was these people were living regular, ordinary lives, not realizing that judgment was coming for them. Complete destruction was coming for them. A flood of judgment was coming for their sins, and they weren't ready for it. This is the same thing that happens in the story of Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham, and he lived in the city of Sodom. And because of their great sin, God destroyed the city of Sodom as fire rained down from heaven. But what were they doing before judgment came? Living regular, ordinary lives, not realizing judgment was coming. Jesus tells us in verse 28, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. Again, these are not bad things, but judgment was coming for them and they had absolutely no idea. Jesus tells us that when he comes again, it will be just like that. You see, God is certainly a God of love and grace and mercy, but he is also a God of justice. He will judge the world for sin and unbelief. Listen to these verses in John 5, 26 and 27. For as the Father has life in him, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. When Christ comes, he will not have second thoughts about bringing judgment on the earth. He will not feel badly about punishing those who have not believed in him. He will not hesitate to bring the wrath of God stored up for those who have rebelled against him. Christ is clear. Judgment is coming. And friends, we live in a world filled with people living regular, ordinary lives, not realizing that the judgment of Christ is coming for them. Maybe that's you today. 
Maybe you're just living a regular, ordinary life, not realizing judgment is coming. Friends, God's word is clear. Every single one of us is deserving of God's righteous judgment. We've all sinned. We've all rebelled. We have all failed to honor and give thanks to our God. And friends, God's word is clear. There is only one way to escape that coming judgment. You can't escape it by being good people. You can't escape it by just believing in God. You can't escape it because your granny loved God and went to church. You can't escape it by just being better than other people. Well, those people are worse. The only way to escape judgment is to be found in Christ. You see, just as Noah and his family were hidden in the ark, so you must be hidden in Christ. And to be hidden in Christ, all you have to do is repent of your sins and believe. You have to turn from your sins and trust that Jesus lived and died and rose again to save us from the coming judgment. If you would confess your sins to God and believe in Christ today, you can be saved from the coming judgment. doesn't matter if you're 8 or 80. You can do that right now. You can call out to the Lord to come and save you. If you've never done that, today would be a great day to do that. Today would be a great day to be saved by Jesus. So call upon the name of the Lord, even right now, and he will save you. Because the truth is this, God's judgment is coming. And so many people have no idea. So many people in this neighborhood around our church have no idea. So many nations all around the world have no idea. So let's go to them and let's tell them that yes, judgment is coming. But yes, there's a way to be saved. There's a way to be rescued from that judgment. Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. You see, in our lives and in the lives of so many people around the world, let's be faithful to proclaim the hope of salvation in Jesus' name. Don't look past the judgment, but run to the king and be found in him by faith. So don't look past the judgment and run to Christ. Lastly, number four, so don't look past Jesus, don't look past the cross, don't look past judgment, and lastly, number four, don't look back. You see, this passage is getting deeper and deeper into the heart of our problem. We began with the Pharisees just confused that Christ had brought the kingdom near, and then Jesus helps the disciples to see what his second coming would be like. And as we just saw, Many people have no idea that judgment is coming. But as Christ finishes our passage here, he raises the stakes. You see, our greatest problem is not missing the signs of the kingdom. Our greatest problem is the temptation to not even want the kingdom when it comes. The problem is not missing the kingdom. The problem is not wanting the king. And so look at verse 30. Jesus says, on that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, 
Let the one who is in the field not turn back. You see, when Christ comes, he must be our only desire. You don't need to go and get all your stuff because Jesus is better than all your stuff. And this is why in verse 33, Jesus says to save your life, you have to lose it. To save your life, you must give all your devotion to King Jesus. That means you're going to lose your will. You're going to lose the plans that you had for your life. You're going to die to seeking your kingdom first. You're going to lose everything. But when you do, you gain Jesus. And friends, in the end, it's only those who have Jesus who will have life. Verse 34 and 35 tell us two people will be sleeping in a bed and one will be taken. Two women will be making bread together and one will be taken. And the disciples ask, where? Where are they going? And Jesus says, the place of death. He says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. They're going to the place of the dead where birds will feed on their flesh. You see, in the end, when Christ comes again, there will be a great divide between those who have death and those who have life. And they both might look the same. I mean, in the, they both might even be doing the exact same thing. But there's a great difference between them. Those who have Jesus have life. And those who do not have Jesus have death. And so this is where this passage hits us right in the heart. You see, if Jesus is our greatest need, then our greatest temptation is to believe we don't need Jesus. Think about that. If Jesus is our greatest need, then our greatest temptation is to believe that we don't need Jesus. I mean, I've said this so many times. We need to hear it so many more. I truly believe that our greatest temptation is to slowly drift away from Jesus and then to wake up one morning believing that there is something better than Jesus. I've seen it in so many people and it is just heartbreaking. None of them thought they would give up on Jesus, but all of them came to believe that Jesus was not enough. That relationship was better than Jesus. That job was better than Jesus. Those pills were better than Jesus. That lifestyle was better than Jesus. Friends, Jesus is calling us today to lose everything so that we might gain him. He's calling us to love him above all things. And he's calling us to fix our eyes on him and to never, never look Look at verse 32. Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. 
You see, Lot and his family were warned by visiting angels that God was about to destroy the city of Sodom. And so the angels told them to run for your lives. Flee from the city. Don't stop. And don't look back. And so Lot gathers his daughters and his wife and they they ran for their lives. But Lot's wife fell behind. And the story tells us that she looked back. You know, the story doesn't tell us why she looked back. Maybe she was worried about her friends and her neighbors. Maybe she regretted that she had left all her stuff there in Sodom. Maybe she was longing to get one last taste of that city's sin. See, she looked back. And she was destroyed. She was turned to salt as she was covered in the judgment of that city. And so Jesus is pleading with us today to remember this woman. Remember Lot's wife. Remember how she turned back and found nothing but death. Jesus is pleading with us to find life in him today. He's pleading with us to fix our eyes on the kingdom and to fill our hearts with the king. He's calling us to never believe the lie that there's something better than him. He's calling us to never look back. Brothers and sisters, the kingdom of Jesus is coming. It's here in our midst because King Jesus is here with us. You see, we're a community of disciples transformed by his grace and his love. And we're waiting for our king to return. And so as we wait, let's treasure King Jesus together. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and never look past him. Let's cling to the cross as our only hope of salvation. Let's remember that judgment is coming and the only way to escape it is to be found in Christ. Brothers and sisters, let's cling to Christ and never look back. In a moment, we're going to sing these beautiful words together. And mine are keys to Zion City, where beside the king I walk. For there my heart has found its treasure. Christ is mine forevermore. Come rejoice now, O my soul, for his love is my reward. Fear is gone and hope is sure. Christ is mine forevermore. So may those words be true in us today. And tomorrow, and then the day after that, and then the day after that, and the day after that until the kingdom comes. And when the kingdom comes, if we have our eyes and our hearts fixed on Jesus, 
never looking back, then we will have our treasure. We will have our great reward. We will have Jesus. We'll have Jesus forevermore. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you today for your word. God, we're amazed at the fact that what we do in this place, what we do when we gather together in homes and in restaurants and over coffee, Lord, we are experiencing life in the kingdom of God. How amazing is that, Lord, that Jesus has brought the kingdom near. It's in our midst because Jesus is in our midst. And so, Lord, may we never look past Christ to think that some politician or some work in the world is going to be better than what we are experiencing here now. Lord, we thank you that Christ came as king, but he humbled himself. That he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to lay down his life for his sheep. He came to suffer many things and to be rejected by his people. Jesus was exalted as king with a crown of thorns on his head, with a purple robe around his shoulders, with a king over his, with a sign over his head that said, the king of the Jews. And Lord, his throne was a cross as he was lifted up so that all nations might see him. Lord, may we never think that the cross was not enough. May we cling to it and rejoice in the cross. And God, we're sobered by the reality that judgment is coming for this world. That so many of us are living regular, ordinary lives, not knowing that complete destruction is coming when Christ returns. But Lord, we are so thankful that in your love and your mercy, you gave us a way to be saved. As Noah was saved through the ark and as Lot was saved by the angels telling him to flee, Lord, Christ has come that he may rescue us from the coming judgment. And Lord, I pray for any here today who don't know you, who've never given their life to Jesus, never repented and believed in him. Lord, let today be the day that they do that. Lord, let today be the day of salvation. God, for those of us who have escaped it and we are in Christ by faith, Lord, give us a burden to tell anyone and everyone that yes, judgment is coming, but yes, God has provided a way to be saved. And Lord, we pray that you would help us who have been saved to never look back. God, this world is luring us and tempting us to look back to think that there surely has to be something better than Jesus. But God, we know that there's not. Christ alone is the treasure that satisfies us. He alone is the reward that will bring us everlasting life forever. So God, may we never be like Lot's wife. May we remember her and never, never, Lord, turn back from Jesus. 
Help us to fix our eyes and our hearts and our lives on King Jesus, Lord, so that we may be found faithful in the day when he comes. And so that we may say, yes, my heart has found its treasure in Christ. And Lord, we will be with him forever in eternity. Lord, help us. Thank you for Jesus. May we look at him all our days, even until the day where we see him face to face. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.